All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo alongside Anthony Pine of RT Sport Online. And this week we're joined by Gary Rogers and Keith Tracy. Plenty to talk about between Shamrock Rovers uh, definitely guaranteeing themselves uh, group stage football in the Europa Conference League and also making as far as the Europa League playoff round. And then also Pats and Sligo who have exited the Conference League. Plus there's plenty going on across the water, including Manchester United's continued struggles. And this time it was against Brentford, but we'll be starting with the League of Ireland clubs in Europe and it'll be Shamrock Rovers. We've got the two legs against Ferenc Chavaros in the Europa League playoff round. First leg on Thursday, which is going to be live on RT2 and the RT player 5.30 kickoff. And we'll bring you the second leg next week as well. And Anthony, um, obviously, look with Pats and Sligo going out, it's uh, disappointing for both of those clubs. But unlike last season, it's uh, you know there is something to celebrate at least from League of Ireland point of view with at least one club making into a group stage. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, you know, and I think the lessons that can be learned from Shamrock Rovers as well is something that the likes of Pats can really take heed of. You know, looking at Pats the other night, sometimes you just need to to go close a couple of times to pick up that experience. Like obviously, they have to make sure they get back into Europe next season. Now that's that's the obvious priority for for St. Pats, and that's why yesterday was it was a big three points for them, of course, but. When you look at Rovers, like how they closed out the second leg to ensure now that they've got a minimum of the Europa Conference League group stages, that's just just a bit of noose and experience and how they control that game and, and going away to you know fairly difficult environment. There was a bit of needle in the game uh, in the run up to it with, with the with the uh, sort of flight plans and all the rest of it. But they, I actually thought Rovers were very cool. like in the end they were very comfortable over two legs, and now they've got a swing at making it to the Europa League. Uh, group stages but they've got a brilliant safety net of the Europa Conference League and that's that's brilliant for them but that's kind of been coming with Shamrock Rovers you know it's been, it's been kind of coming from the last couple of years I think uh, Stephen Bradley would admit that they've been disappointed with with how they fared in Europe they probably would have expected a little bit more themselves but this will this would have been within their uh, targets at the start of the season 100% you know they would have mm-hmm. known that it's within them and then when you consider as well that just looking at their bench the other night Raf Graham Burr comes on Jack Bourne is still to come back into the team. Like I know they've lost uh, a little bit of quality from that side, but they've still got tons of quality. And uh, it'd be really exciting to see how they fare now, whether whether it's the Europa Conference League or the Europa League. Um, you know, it's 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 great. And as I said, at this point, as it was for St. Pat's, uh, if they can get back there in that next season, they'll have learned a huge amount from that game against CSK because they were, I, I thought they were... Very unfortunate. Ultimately, when you get to the sharp end of these knockout games, as, as the lads will tell you, like it's it's just you have to take your chances when they come. You know, you have to take your chances when they come. And giving up the first goal, the first goal the other night, like a free header in the box, like that type of thing, and that absolutely kills you. Like I, I wasn't usually impressed by CSKA or anything. It wasn't like they came and it was passages where they were playing past out of the park or anything like that at all. Like it was just those little moments. That can kill you at the sharp end of it. And uh, look, they'll all learn a lot from Tim, Tim Clancy included, young manager. Um, but overall, it's, it has been a positive European campaign for the Yellow White Clubs, I think, overall this summer. Yeah, we look at the stats and how it compares to last season a little bit later on. But let's start with Shamrock Rovers, Gary. I mean, uh, as they had won the first leg against Scoopy, um here at home, 3-1, and then went to North Macedonia. It was always going to be a bit tricky. And uh, 1-2-1 with... 
second half goals from Rory Gaffney and Idemo Amaku before Sunday Adachunji uh, got a consolation for, for Scoopy. But um, in terms of how Rovers managed that second leg and even when you look at the first half where there were no goals scored, they seemed to create the best chances on the break and it all seemed to kind of stem from Rory Gaffney as well. Yeah, I looked at it. There's lots of interesting things when it comes to Shamrock Rovers and how they've done. Yeah, you have to the foundation for that, I suppose, comfort that they had in the second leg was that third goal in Tala, like Gary O'Neill's late strike in the ninety six minutes. That sets it up and that gives the team confidence going to the away leg that they have that little bit of cushion. You have to remember that Shamrock Rovers over the last couple of European ties have suffered at the hands of a of a late goal where, you know, the, the, that third goal went in against Ludogrets and I think his last year was the same thing with the third goal, fourth goal killed them in the tie. So that's really, you know, given the foundation to go on and put in a really comfortable uh, second leg performance away from home, um, looked very good in the game, um, controlled it well, but there's huge experience in that squad. You look through the t- the players like the Ron O'Finn, and I, I know Sean Gannon, Sean Hoare, all guys that have uh, have massive experience in Europe and massive know-how have been in group stages. I think this will be Ron O'Finn's fourth trip to group stages, and or sorry, third and fourth for Sean Gannon. So, um, you know, they're a very, very experienced squad, and... Uh, Look, they've, they've a great opportunity now to, to go and have a free shot at getting into Europa League. Obviously, worst-case scenario, they'll drop down into the Conference League. So, um, Shamrock Rovers and the League of Ireland in general would be really happy that, um, you know, where they are and the position they're in. And obviously, look, the Conference League has made it a little bit easier to attain group stages. But, you know, that aside, it's been a, a really good season for, for the clubs. And, and you look at Sligo's results and Pat's results, you know, Pat can find itself very unlucky not to, uh, you know, get themselves a little bit further in the competition as well. Yeah, and Keith, uh, Rory Gaffney, brilliant in the first half, more, not so much in the goal-scoring stakes, um, obviously that came in the in the second half, but just the positions he was, he was picking up and the channels he sort of runs in, it kept Scoopy guessing. Yeah, it did, and I have written down in my notes here that Shamrock Rovers only had 38% of the ball away to Scoopy, so not something that they would have been used to at all, Shamrock Rovers, but they dealt with it really well, and the way they went, they went away to Scooby. It was a real blueprint on how to play away from home. Gaffney, when he got the ball, not really threatening in terms of scoring goals, but when he got the ball, he kept the ball. He won fouls. He chased lost causes. And that's what you need. And I think they went over there and just gave a really professional performance. I think the job was done in the first leg, but you know they had to finish it off in the second leg. We weren't sure if Scooby, how good Scooby were going to be at home. But I think Rovers went there and over the two legs, like Anthony says, they were fairly comfortable and that's really, really bodes really well for the for the League of Ireland clubs, and not by any stretch of the imagination could could St. Pat's have got through as well. So we could have had two League of Ireland clubs too true as well. And you know Sligo, I know they, they didn't turn up in the first leg against Viking, but they won the second leg one 0 and it could have been two 0 also. They missed a penalty, so you know the, the League of Ireland comes out with with a lot of credit this time round, and obviously Shamrock Rovers are still flying uh, flying the flag for us. Yeah, and something Graham Gartland has often mentioned during the European run has been how Dylan Watts is very suited to European football, Anthony. And again, he was uh, he was instrumental, especially when we look at maybe, obviously, a lot of the focus is often on Jack Byrne, but Watts has been excellent over the last year or so. Yeah, no, as, as Keith makes the point there, that, that the trio, like the that sort of uh, triumvirate of, of Gaffney, Green, Watts, uh, Richie Tell as well. Like they, they worked so hard, you know. Like Rovers didn't have so much of the ball, but when they got it, they looked a threat. They looked potent, and you've got that bit of cleverness as well. With Watts, just that that blend of energy and a little bit of smartness, a little bit of news. No one went to sort of go for it 
and try and go for the juggler. And then also just take the sting out of the game, draw a foul, let Gaffney work the channels. Now, this is like, as, as Gary says, like the experience that they, that bank of experience they have within the squad. And I think within Stephen Bradley himself, you know, he is still a young manager. You know, he's, he's been around for a few years now, but he is still a young manager. And once you get to that sort of level, into these like the later rounds of the qualifiers and then you know once they get into the group stages like it's just the bar goes up and up and up and you learn you learn harsh lessons you know you learn really harsh lessons so uh i, I agree exactly what, what keith said there i i just thought they looked i never really felt like they were on the ropes or anything or in danger throughout the game they had some very good individual performances but collectively i thought shamrock rose were very good and they, they fully deserve it now we can all look forward to seeing how they get on uh, in the next round and that in that playoff and beyond that then the group stages of whatever competition they end up in. Yeah, before we talk about Ferran Chavar, Austin, the uh, challenge that comes up in the uh, Europa League playoff round now, first leg on Thursday, it's set on RT2 and RT player. Uh, just something Anthony said there about sort of the young managers and we'll talk about Pats and Sligo a little bit later on, but um, obviously John Russell, young manager um, at Sligo. You've also got Tim Clancy, young manager at Pats. And then, as Anthony said there, Stephen Bradley, you know, a young manager at Shamrock Rovers. And Keith, you know, you look at it there and it's a massive achievement when you consider maybe they're, uh, well, they are relatively experienced, but compared to maybe some of the kind of older heads uh, within the management and coaching game, it's kind of remarkable what they've been able to do straight away. Yeah, they're doing really well. I know... <laughs> Stephen Bradley just doing really well and so is Tim Clancy even I spoke to Johnny Russell yesterday I was at the Sligo game and I was picking his brains about it and he held his hands up he said we didn't turn up for the first leg but we rectified it in the second leg and it wasn't so much tactical changes it was just like they did against Motherwell I think they just wanted it that bit more when they got to the showgrounds the, the, the most important thing for me is other than the Motherwell game where there was real flashes of, of brilliance and good play we're, we're doing it the right way. We're, we're playing football. All three teams are going out to play football, even Pats against CSKA, where you could have been forgiven for maybe going a little bit longer, a little bit more direct at times. We all try to play football, so it's, it all bodes well. And when you bring these young managers in, they're all forward thinking. Nobody now is stuck in, in, in you know, the, the 4 4 2 era of you know, kick it long, play second balls. I think we've all evolved past that, and you know, it, it's linked in with. Stephen Kenny into the into the national team as well, and the league is thriving for it. And with Brexit now happening as well, and not being able to to go across the water so young, I think it will breed new life into the league because we'll get to hold on to players that maybe we might necessarily not have kept. So it, it's all boding well, and we're playing the right way. We're playing attractive football, and the pitches are getting better, which you know wasn't always a given in the league either. So they they are getting conducive conducive to good football. So it, it's it's all on the up, and I'm just glad that. You know, the, the one thing that, that was niggling with me was, you know, sometimes we, we have rivalry within the league, but when Sligo got B5-1, you could hear people say, ah, you know, we knew that was coming, this and that. And people were very quick to jump on the bandwagon. But I was so happy that he went and got the 1-0 win. And like you said, it could have been a lot more. And we, we were doing ourselves proud. And, you know, next season, again, Pats and, Pats and Sligo had a little taste of it. Now, Rovers are still flying the flag. But you'd expect Pats to be more hungry next season, having beaten Sligo yesterday they're in the, the hot seat for the, the, the race for fourth. So I think it bodes well for everybody. I think Pats and Sligo will be really, really hungry. Rovers will obviously be really enjoying it. And you think Dundalk will be strong again uh, this season. So they, they'll be in European football as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the run-in for the, the chase to fourth. And like I said, I think the young managers are doing really, really well in the league. 
Yeah, so Shamrock Rovers still flying the flag and Thursday first leg Europa, or Europa League playoff round for Chavaros. So these are the Hungarian record champions. They've won the uh, their league the last four times in a row and 33 overall. So pretty big club historically. Uh, and they did play in the Champions League group stages two years ago and then were in the Europa League group stages last season. And uh, the way they ended up in the Europa League was losing 4-2 to Karabag of Azerbaijan on aggregate in the Champions League third round. So it's a big challenge, big challenge for Shamrock Rovers and uh, Fern Chavaris are going to be the, the favourites, Gary. So do they have, I, I would imagine the way Stephen Bradley looks at it and judging from the way he talks about it, this they're not going to look at it as a free hit, but it sort of is in a way, given that they do have the guarantee of a Conference League group stage to come. Yeah, well, look, it absolutely is a free hit, no matter what way you, you dress it up. I think um, Fern Chavaris, obviously a really good side. Uh, Carabag, a team that I would have played against, uh, obviously beating them over the two legs and have continued their progress. So, um, look, it, it, it's a it's a difficult tie. There's no doubt about it. But at this stage of the competition, you're not going to get um probably anybody more attractive, you know, to 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 beat. And I think Shamrock Rovers as well within their capabilities, you know, over two legs with the pressure off with with group stages in the bag to go out there and perform. And like I've mentioned earlier, you know, the players that they have. You know, in their ranks like the Graham Book and, and Jack Bourne, who we, you know, we get to see the best of Jack because of injury this year. But the quality that they have throughout the squad, um, and I think, you know, players always raise their game. League of Ireland players especially raise their game when it comes to European football. And I think it, it's a great barometer for, for the league and for the League of Ireland. And we all want to see our clubs, you know, in group stages because it, it shines a good light on our league. As we know, it's struggled for years to get the kind of limelight that it, you know, the, and the credibility that it deserves because there's lots of good players in our league, lots of really talented young players coming through, and I think you know for Shamrock Rovers to go and beat Ferrovars over two two legs, um, it, it'd be a really good achievement. I think look, you know, there is obviously better standard of opposition that, but when it comes to this end of it, you you need to beat a really good side to get into the Europa League group stages, and you know, I think this is a is a tie that that Stephen Bradley and Shamrock Rovers will look at. As a, as a really good opportunity for them. Um, like I said, with the pressure off of, of having group stages in the bag, I think, you know, they can really go out there uh, and let loose. It's not about taking the shackles off and, and being, you know, you know, you still have to be defensively solid and you, you have to take your opportunities because European football comes down to that. You look at Pat the other day, you know, put in a really good performance. We're probably, you know, very unlucky with the handball and, and the penalty. Um, but defensively, you've got to be sound. But equally so, when it comes to, up front and getting the opportunity, you've got to take your chances. That's what it's all about. Like the, the group stages that we would have got through, we were up against it. We were always defensively solid, but like yeah, we had Dave McMillan who was on fire, and he would have got one or two chances. And the difference was that they took them chances. And I think if Shamrock Rovers can be, I suppose, clinical at, at, at that end of the pitch, you know, they've every they've every chance of of getting through to Europa League. Yeah, so the first leg is in Budapest on Thursday, 5.30 kickoff, and it's going to be live on RT2 and the RT player. And we'll also bring you the second leg the following week. Uh, we've touched on Pats, but we're going to go into a little bit more detail. Obviously, they lost at home 2-0, or well, not at home, well, Tala Stadium. I mean, obviously, it's the nominal home leg, but at Tala Stadium, 2-0 to CSK Sofia. So um, an early goal from Maurizio Garces, and then later on, Ivan Turtsov, and there was some controversy about that. And then later on, Adam Arai, and Bradley Denoyer um, both seeing red but Anthony just on this game first in the general sense I think you touched on it at the beginning but uh, it was just something Conan Byrne said on the commentary um, which was on the RT News channel last week and that CSK were pretty much there for the taking and probably over the two legs they were a bit better in the second leg but 
uh, Pats in reality, when you actually look at the balance of play and the chances, uh, you know, a couple of chances here and there, and you're probably talking about Pats going through. Oh, you know, hundred percent. I think Anto Breslin had a chance not not too long before the penalty, um, which was it did look like a harsh penalty, and you know, the replays looked like the the CSK player handled it first. But uh, maybe just I don't know. Look, it's hard to kind of quantify or put your finger on these kind of things. A little bit of belief, maybe, just getting that mix of being like really up for it and getting the absolute most out of yourself, but then also having a bit of composure when the game is is in the mix. You know, like it's it's difficult. It's very difficult. But I think Pat's when they look back on that, they'll probably think, yeah, they were there for the taking. They must be thinking that because. That name, CSK Sophie, it's such a big European name. You go in, like you're amping yourself up. Maybe initially, Pats fans were thinking, let's just go over there and not, you know, keep ourselves in the tie. You know, that's what they were probably realistically thinking. Then they go over there and win. And now it's like, oh my God, you know, there's there's actually a chance here. So maybe there was just a little bit, they were they're almost like uh over overly hyping CSK in their own heads. I don't know. Like it's as I said, it's hard to quantify it. As, as two games of football, you look back at it and say, I think Pats were uh, the better team. I actually think they were the better team over two legs. It's not like there was no part of that tie where they were chasing shadows for like 10 or 15 minutes. You know, CSK were better in the second leg, probably underestimated Pats in the first leg. But in the end, they got a fortunate penalty decision uh, to win the tie. You know, once it goes to extra time, I, I thought it was going to penalties. Like looking at the game, I thought it was going to fizzle out they'll cancel each other out and it was going to go to penalties. It, it kind of had that look about it. And in saying that, uh, in that second half, it was St. Pat's who had the better chances. So, look, they, they, sometimes it just goes like that for you. Like, it's as I said, the big thing for us is, is it's a big learning curve. Get back into Europe next season now. That's that's the thing for them. Get back in. I'm, I'm sure they're all, you know, in the, in the few days after that game, they're all just saying it amongst themselves, look, lick our wounds. Like, we want to get back to that stage and have another crack at it because... You know, we're, we're not that far off. You know, they really, they, they weren't that far off. Yeah, and Keith, just on, obviously, as Anthony said there, you know, uh, Pats had chances like Anto Breslin's one from close range, I think, which he kind of scuffed, I think, uh, sort of at the goalkeeper. But uh, the lesson maybe, and they can take it almost from Shamrock Rovers and Scoopy, is you don't want to be conceding an early enough goal in an easy fashion as happened with the set piece. Yeah, look, when a team like CSK come over, you're... you're... To a large degree, you're going to defend well. You're going to get compact. But if somebody puts one in the top the top corner from 30 yards out, you hold your hands up and say that that's excellent play, world class stuff. But to be undone from a set piece is it's something that was really great on on Tim. I know that for for a fact because you you expect when when these big clubs come, you're going to defend properly, and they didn't defend properly. Adam O'Reilly had a big big chance as well. It was a decent save by the by the goalkeeper, but there was just little moments. And I, I was at the game and. I think it was, I think it was Adam O'Reilly again. It was only two minutes into the game, and he he got fouled. It was quite a heavy tackle, but he jumped straight back up. And Pat's took the foul, uh, played the ball straight away. And I was I said to my wife at the time, I said he should have stayed down for about two or three minutes there. And it was only the game was only kicked off. Do you know what I mean? So I, I just wanted him because you know as soon as CSKA get get back into it, they're going to start. Uh, Taking the time over things, taking the time over goal kicks. You seen how you know the dark arts, as we call it, taking the times over things. I think Pats were just a little bit green, a little bit wet behind the ears still. And as Gary said, I think game management is such a big thing in Europe. Pats were winning one 0 They they should have really really frustrated them into you know overreaching and then try and hit them on the counter attack. But like I said, it could it could have been so so different. And 
they did. They relied on a really, really dodgy penalty decision. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful to St. Pat's and say it was a moral win because I think we've moved past that. I think as a league and definitely St. Pat's as a club, we've moved past moral victories. They lost the game. They didn't deserve to lose the game. You know, they can, they can move on with their heads held high. But now the next thing is just, I would imagine Tim is just reiterating to the lads, <clears throat> we need European football next year. That's what we want. We want to be back in the hat and we want more nights like this. Yeah, you mentioned the penalty decision, but even before that, in the lead up to it, obviously, Brockbank, it's the handball, I guess, by the letter of the law, they tend to get given. But there was that free kick down the touchline where Atacanyi is trying to flick the ball past the CSK um, defender, and then a free kick is given for that. It looked it looked bizarre. There was a lot of bizarre, bizarre decisions on the night. I, I don't know, you know, there were so many weird decisions from the referee and I don't want to come on here and hammer the referee because they do have hard jobs I know there's no VAR as well in, in Palace so you know it was just a really there was probably 10 decisions that really baffled me like I, I ended up looking around people around me so what was that for and I remember there was that there was one foul where I think everybody in the ground thought it was a, a Pats foul CSK dropped in to defend it and the referee pointed the other way there was just so many baffling decisions but I thought it was great to watch. You know, I I got I ended up getting the Lewis to the game. I got off the Lewis in the square talent and you could feel the the atmosphere from Talat. The, the stadium was bouncing already. And this this was in around seven o'clock. This was nearly forty-five minutes before kickoff. So the atmosphere was brilliant. The lads were really up for it. I just think game management was the one thing they really missed out on because the performance was there. Maybe not clinical enough in front of goal, but you know, all the legs in the world, all the want, all the will, but just a little bit green behind the ears in terms of game management. Yeah, and as it turned out, it's Joseph Anang's last appearance for Pat, so he's going back uh, to West Ham and I think presumably joining Derby County as well. Danny Rogers signed from Oldham and he's, uh, well, he's uh, he's coming in, uh, he's coming in now and he made his debut against uh, Sligo at the weekend. We'll talk about that game a little bit later on, but uh, Tim Clancy afterwards wasn't too happy in regards to how the the end of Anang's time at Pats came along, um, Gary. Um, so just to read out his quote, he's got a big future ahead of him, but we're really disappointed in the way the end of Joe's loan came about. There was a recall in June which wasn't used, and subsequently we let Josh Keeley go to Tottenham. Joe sort of sort of pushed us into a corner where we had to let him go. He wouldn't travel to Bulgaria unless we agreed to let him go. I think he's just been badly advised. It's a massive move for him, and we wish him all the best. So what do you make of that situation, Gary? Because obviously we've spoken about, and I think you've mentioned that he's one that. He made an early error in the President's Cup final and after that showed some of his quality. And then, as we see now, you know, uh, it's all happened all of a sudden that he's uh, he's departing and probably at a bad time for the club as well. Yeah, look, it's disappointing, um, obviously, for St. Pat's. Like Tim has said there in, in, in your quotes, where they've let Josh Keeley go, thinking that they've had Joseph until the end of the season. And then, you know, they're forced to move um, away from the club. Like, obviously, the club would have planned to have him around the place for the rest of the season, um, and look, it is disappointing when you hear that you know players refusing to play, um, or presumably you know refusing to play, um, in a European tie unless he was let go. So it's strange situation. Obviously, he's gone alone out to Derby County, which you know I think he'll have gained massively from playing for St. Pat's Premier Division football here and European football. Like, um, you know, he's probably going to be second or third choice possibly at Derby County. We don't know, you know the ins and outs of that, whether he'll start or not. But I think, you know, for a goalkeeper at that age, it's massively important to be playing football. And, you know, you look at the likes of, you know, Gavin Pazuna and Mark Travers, and they've kicked on because they've been playing football early doors in their careers. Like Gavin obviously played a little bit in the League of Ireland before he left. But, um, you know, for a goalkeeper to progress and to get to the highest level, 
you know, the, the earlier they can get playing men's football, the better. And I think, you know, he's possibly turned down that opportunity to, to continue his progress at St. Pat's. And obviously Tim is frustrated at the circumstances around it, uh, which is hugely disappointing, obviously, for St. Pat's and, uh, and for him. Uh, Joseph has, has, has done really well, particularly in that away leg against DSK. Uh, Sophia, so it's um, disappointing the circumstances, but his replacement, uh, Danny Rogers, obviously very experienced goalkeeper, 28, come in, has a lot of games in Scotland, is playing with Lena Ray Martin on the squad in 2016 and under 21 international. So he's gone and got an experienced keeper and he's also got David Adamusu there as backup. But I'm sure he wouldn't like to have been pressured into the situation where he's had to go and find a replacement at the drop of a hat. And, and all credit to Tim and, and his team and the staff you know, to go and get a, a replacement of that. And he did really well in the game against Lloyd. made a couple of very important saves. You know, Keith was in commentary for it. So, um, yeah, look, it, it, it's a strange situation where they're forcing that, that, that loan move you know, to go back and, and then to go to a club where you're possibly not going to play. Yeah, so, yeah, as you said, Danny Rogers making his uh, past debut against Liga Rovers. We'll talk about that game very shortly uh, before we get on to the rest of the Premier Division games. But just Sligo, anyway, themselves finished on a relatively high note in the Europa Conference League. Obviously, they'd lost the away leg to Viking in Norway 5-1 and then uh, at the showgrounds 1-1-0 Will Fitzgerald's goal just before half time. So, Keith, it's... Again, it, they'll be disappointed, maybe as you said, with that, with the way they uh, folded in the first leg. But at least uh, uh, there is a sort of positive there, which also helps with our coefficient, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in terms of the league's ranking in UEFA. But uh, it's uh, from John Russell's point of view, uh, you know, it's a nice way. To, it's a nice way to end. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to finish uh, the second leg off with a win. But you know, the first leg. You know, it's probably only the first half. You know, like I said, I was speaking to Johnny on the side of the pitch yesterday, and he he was reiterating that it was more or less the first forty-five minutes that Sligo didn't turn up, and you know, anybody can not turn up for forty-five minutes. He said if there was maybe four or five of them that were having a real off day, and all you can ask, you know, that can happen to any any team at any time. It just so happened that it struck at that, and the five-one scoreline, you know, it's it's out of doubt. The fixture's gone. All that Johnny can do after that is tell the lads, listen, take it as a one-off fixture. We win this leg. We win this game of football. We forget about the force one. And they did that. So they, they did get some confidence back from that. I'm sure they did. And like I said, it, you know, being be, be beaten 5-1 by a decent Viking team, you maybe are thinking, are we out of our depth? Have we got here too early? But being able to rectify it with a, with a decent 1-0 win, a well-deserved 1-0 win, could have been 2-0, like I say. So... It wasn't a smash, uh, smash bang wallop in the second in the second leg. They didn't nick it by any any uh, stretch of the imagination. It was a good solid performance by Sligo. So, yeah, I think look, it was a it was a bad forty five minutes, a bad ninety minutes in the first leg. But they did what the only thing they could do when they bounced back. They were never going to win win the toy after the first leg. So all they could do was win the second leg, and they did that. So fair play to them. But <laughs> straight back to another loss against Pats. But I'm sure I'm sure we'll touch on that. Yeah, we'll touch on it now, actually, because uh, the equation is fairly simple for them. Obviously, no no European involvement from here on in, and also both got knocked out of the cup at the uh, at the first attempt. So, you, as you said, you were at the game yesterday, and the equation is fairly simple. I mean, both are trying to get into that sort of top four to give themselves a chance of being in Europe next season. But, as you said, Pats won 1-0, so they have the momentum now. They're four points clear, they're on 39 points, and then Sligo, uh, four behind. So, what was the balance of the game like? <sighs> It was fairly 50-50, if I'm honest. Maybe Sligo had better chances in the game. I feel that Pats had you know, decent possession, probably dominated the ball more often than not. But with Max Matter up front, Sligo possessed a really good counter counter threat on the, in the first half. In the second half, 
sorry, uh, the goal happened in the first half, but it was a really, really poor mix-up between the goalkeeper and the centre-half. And Owen Doyle gets it on the halfway line, he turns and he plays a ball, a little slide-through ball through the centre-half. And the goalkeeper comes out, McNicholas, he can see the whole picture. The centre-half turns, Serge Atikoy, who we know is, is lightning quick, He's a little bit nervous. He loses sight of him. So the centre-half dangles out a leg. The goalkeeper comes anticipating he's going to clear the ball, but there's no communication between the two of them. And Serge just has an easy tap in. Danny Rogers played really, really well. It was his uh, his debut in the league. Played really, really well. Made a, a decent save in the, the first couple of minutes. Sligo had a good chance. Made one or two decent saves in the second half. Come out and commanded the box really well. So he made it. He made a really good, uh, a really good debut. Nobody wanted to see the back of Joey and I, you know, considering how well he did. But I think they have a fit and replacement in uh, in Danny Rogers. There was a sending off in the in the 65th, 65th minute. Mark Doyle, he, he goes into a tackle like a 50-50 sort. Of, he jumps up. There's a shoulder to shoulder. Then the ball bounces, and you see Patrick Kirk, the Sligo left back, coming. The ball bounces and. You could see there was going to be a collision. Patrick Kirk bends his head slightly down to head it. Mark Doyle brings his foot up. Does a the studs make contact with the forehead? For me, it was a red card all day long. It was the right decision by the referee to send them off. I don't think there was any maliciousness in it, but he endangered it. You know the player's safety by you know lifting his, his studs six feet off the ground. Sligo pushed the twenty five minutes. They pushed. They they hoofed and pushed. Uh, Lewis Banks had a header. He should have done better. We put it put it just wide. But on the whole, Pats did defend well, didn't give up too many opportunities. Danny Rogers, when he was asked to do something, he did it very, very capably. Sligo will feel they, they should have got something out of the game. Pats will be happy given you know the, the European exploits and Sligo the same. They'll be happy just to get the win on the board and move on. You know, it wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but they get it and move on. And I, I spoke to Johnny after the game. He was very, very disappointed to get nothing out of it. And on the balance, I think a draw would have been fair, but you know. Pats would have been. It was very little in it. it was it was a defensive mistake that gave Pats the goal. So, you know, if if anybody was going to score from open play, good play, it was going to be Sligo. But Pats, uh, Serge Atikoy, like he did against CSKA, chasing lost causes and and reaps the rewards of it. Yeah, and the rewards as well, Anthony. Before we get to the other uh, Premier Division games, so the League of Ireland just in the UEFA League rankings went up two places, so they're up to thirty six now. And then, uh, but actually, when you look at the stats and you compare, say, wins, draws, losses between uh, the clubs in Europe last season and this season, it's actually largely the same. So last season, uh, or sorry, this season, it's nine wins, three draws, and six defeats, and that's including that uh, Pat's win on penalties against Mora being down as a draw. And then when you look at it. Last season, there were 10 wins, three, do- three draws and seven losses for the League of Ireland clubs. And obviously, Bowles played a big part in that last season with uh, four victories. Uh, so the overall sense of where the FAI wanted the league to be in terms of the UEFA rankings was top 30 by 2025. And they were 40 ahead of this new Euro season. So as we said, Anthony, like when you look at it, 36, they're on, it's on the right road. And as Keith, I think, said earlier, it sort of bodes well. Yeah, it bodes well, you know, success breeds success, obviously, but it bodes well if, like, what's happening is built upon and, you know, money and funds goes into infrastructure and things are sort of, there's a bit of joined up thinking, which is, I mean, that's that's the proof being the pudding if we come back and we see where we are in a few years' time because look, the clubs are doing their part. Some of the clubs are doing tremendous work. Think of a club like Sligo Rovers. It's such a, a community-based club. There's, there's people who just invest their whole lives and, and others around the country. But you know, bigger picture, like I know it's different levels, but if you look at the Premier League, like what, what a good coefficient can do for you in terms of getting extra European places and um 
getting in obviously extra money for the clubs and, and that money going into infrastructure and proven grounds and things like that. I mean, broadly speaking, Raf, I'd say there's three kind of strands of football fan in Ireland, broadly speaking, where you're hardcore League of Ireland fans, uh, Premier League and Champions League fans who would have a casual interest in the League of Ireland. And then there is a there is a strand of fans who probably couldn't name you five League of Ireland players. That that is the reality. So these European games, a lot are very important for the clubs in terms of finances and just for the, the supporters themselves and the communities and towns and cities or whatever. It's also a great chance to get new eyeballs on League of Ireland clubs. Now, it's an uncomfortable truth for a lot of people that, but that, that is just the reality. There are Irish football fans here that just don't tune into the league. So that's another reason why these games are so important and why the likes of Shamrock Rovers, they really are carrying the flag for the league. Uh, and as I said, look, the proof being the pudding over the next few years, the clubs are doing their bit. We've had a good summer, but we hope to see a bit of joined up thinking in terms of how do we keep expanding the league, keep a positive glare on the League of Ireland, get more people in, more eyeballs on it. Um, and with that, if you keep doing well, and if you keep doing well in the Europe, if the clubs keep doing well in Europe and they, they keep generating funds, uh, naturally it should keep moving in the in the right direction. But look, there's, there's still a long way to go. Yeah, and there's still a long way to go in the league as well. Just the other results. Obviously, we, we talked about Pats beating Sligo Rovers 1-0 with Serge Adekai's goal. But uh, on Friday night, Dundalk won 1-0 at Bohemians and they were actually down to 10 men as well for the final 38 minutes. Then Derry City and Shamrock Rovers drew 0-0. We'll talk about that one uh, first. Uh, there was uh, some comments from Stephen Bradley just about wanting to have that game moved. But... Uh, the league decided against it and he wasn't too happy but we have audio there so we'll be able to have a listen to that and then draw to United beat Shelburne 3-1 coming from a goal down after Jack Moylan giving Shells the lead and then Ryan Brennan scored a couple of goals in that game and then a big one and we'll talk about this one Keith later on because you keep turning up whenever <laughs> UCD happened uh, to, to bolster your prediction UCD beating Finn Harps 2-1 and uh, that was uh, a great goal by Evan Caffrey as well to, to give them victory there what it does to the table Shamrock Rovers four points clear at Dundalk um, and also have a game in hand and then Derry City currently third and then as we said Pats and Sligo Rovers then coming up fourth and fifth but um, just the, the Derry City Shamrock Rovers game first Gary I mean Alan Manis uh, Stephen Bradley was singing his praises afterwards and uh, yeah he had a massive game sort of got them the point in the end yeah absolutely and look Alan has been terrific um, over the years for Shamrock Rovers before obviously he's had two stints at the club and he's back there and he's been a massive component of their success since he's come back um, and look he, he's Produced the goods again with a penalty save against Derry City at the weekend, and obviously played well in the game. Aside from that, but you know, Alan has been the rock, I suppose, of the foundation that Shamrock Rovers' success in recent years has been built on, and and Stephen rightly so praises him. And uh, like it's one of those games, that, you know, Stephen is not happy that he's had to go and play that, but that's the uh, that's what happens when you're successful in Europe, and you're going to have to just get on with these things. And like, there's no way that. I think if it was the other way around that you know Shamrock Rovers would have moved the tie for Derry City. I just think that that stuff doesn't go doesn't happen when clubs are when it like when it's the top clubs. Maybe if it was a, if it was UCD, they may may have helped out a little bit. But when it's your your rivals in terms of a title race, I I don't see that the the fixtures being moved around. So um look it, it's it's part and parcel of being successful, and and they're going to have to contend with that between now and the end of the season because. Look, one way or another, they're going to have group stages and, and extra fixtures to contend with. So they're going to have a lot of games. Um, and that's why they've got such a big squad there. And it's a great opportunity for players 
you know, to gain experience obviously in Europe, but and and younger players to come and, and maybe play some more league games that they they might not necessarily have got. So, um, but like like you said about Alan, Alan's been terrific. So he's um he he's going to be a big part uh have a big part to play between now and the end of the season when it comes to Europe as well. Yeah, let's listen to Stephen Bradley just on that uh, issue with the fixture against Derry City and wanting it pushed back 24 hours or maybe 48 hours and just his uh, view on that. There was a lot of noise, obviously, in the build-up to the game about your attempts to get the match rescheduled. Was that a was that a motivating factor for you coming into the game tonight? I just thought it was really poor from the league, like horrendous from the league, to be honest with you. Um, we're talking about promoting Irish football and wanting the teams to do well, and we have to understand the benefits everyone in the long run. Um, and we didn't want to off. We just wanted to move 24 hours, like as normal in every country in the world when you have two away European games. And for some reason, the league seen a fit not to not to help us. And I think that's really really poor from from the league and the people making the decisions. Um, and it, and it needs to be looked at. It's not it's not good enough. And no no qualms with Derry that they were in, within their rights to to stick with the Friday night. No, I understand Derry's point of view. They want the catches on the hop. They want to force the game. When we've had a game on Tuesday, but the rules are the rules, and 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 the league need to step in and make a call there. And they've shown zero leadership there, in my opinion. Okay, so that is uh, Stephen Bradley speaking to Eric White after the Derry City game, and obviously he was looking to get that game pushed back by 24 hours um, at the very least, just between the two, uh, the Scoopy away leg, and then also travelling to Budapest uh, to play Ferencvaros this Thursday. So, Keith, what was what's your take on those comments there? Obviously, Stephen Bradley is speaking from a Shamrock Rovers point of view, but uh, what's your view of sort of from the league, the league's point of view? in regards to whether that game should have been pushed back or not? I think the league should have stepped in and pushed it back, if I'm honest. And I'm I'm by far not a Rovers fan of that, and I have an alliance with, with St. Pat's. So I, I, I understand Derry's point of view. I think we all do. If you're in that Derry dressing room, you think you might be able to catch Shamrock Rovers coming to Derry a little bit tired, sore legs. We could be able to beat them and turn them over. That's fair enough. The rest of us, the league, the people from the outside looking in, the neutral, are all thinking, surely this is going to be put back. The league have to show, I think Stephen Bradley's right, the league have to show a little bit of leadership and help the lads out. I know Derry want to play them, but we're all pushing in the same direction. We all want the league to get better. We all want the league to get more exposure. Shamrock Rovers getting a little rest, trying to help themselves in Europe. Like... Like Gary has said, they're going to have a lot of games now with the group stages coming up, so there won't be that much time now to actually fiddle around with the fixtures. This was one of the chances that they had to fiddle around and give them a little bit of a break. They hadn't done it, and I have to say, look, I think Shamrock always will be okay domestically. They'll win the league anyway. They've a strong enough squad, a big enough squad. But I do think it's poor from the league. I have to be honest. I think they should have stepped in and, and 24, 48 hours, whatever it is, but... Yeah, look, I understand Derry's point of view. with no qualms with what they're saying. If I was in the Derry dressing room, I might have been saying the exact same thing. But for me, the league should have stepped in. That's, that's really poor from the league. Yeah, and let's listen to Derry City manager Rory Higgins, who was speaking after that game as well. He His general sense was that they, um, based on the chances they created and the dominance they had in the second half, that it should have been all three points for them. So let's just listen to him. It is what it is. And, and what's pleasing is that uh, how far we've come and... We've um, disappointed. Uh, they've taken four points from nine when it should have been uh, minimum seven against Shamrock Rovers. And we talked before the game about it could be 11 points if Shamrock Rovers win. It could be five if you got a victory. It's fallen in between with, with a draw. So does it still keep you keep you in the title? Well, they leave, they leave here the happiest. There's no doubt about that. They, you could see the reaction of full time. Uh, they leave here the happiest. Um 
and it's not we just have to try and win the next game and, and, and try and go on a run and uh, uh, because we're more than capable of it you can see the talent we have now and and, and, and the depth and, and um, uh, it's, it's, it should be an exciting end of the season Okay, so that is Rory Higgins, Derry City Manager, speaking to Eric White. And uh, Gary, just on, obviously, his view of the game, I think it's largely shared by most people, obviously, uh, Shamrock Rovers, and I think Stephen Bradley talked about it afterwards himself uh, in the rest of his interview with Eric White, that he, he knew his side would tire in the second half, obviously, Derry City uh, dominating. But when you look at their, their head-to-heads, they played three times now, and Derry City won the first one. Uh, Shamrock Rovers uh, won the second, and there's been a sort of a draw in between as well, or a draw now as well. Um, where you know Derry and their head to head would probably look at it and think, as Rory Higgins said, that they probably have largely edged the head to heads. But the issue they've had is maybe the lack of consistency in some of the other games, and that's what they're going to have to try and learn now, if from next season onwards, try and push closer to Rovers. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's, there's no doubt that Derry have put together a really, really good side, uh, and Rory has got some excellent players there. And on the head-to-heads in the in the Shamrock Rovers game, they've played really well. But look, league titles are won over 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 the whole season, and you know Derry have dropped far too many points against teams, you know that that you would expect league champions to to be beaten. So, and that's the that's the major difference as a group. They've got to kind of be come together and be a little bit more solid, um, every week because you you know you, you can't afford to have, you know, two or three games where where you like two or three defeats on the spin and stuff like that. You've got to be, like that's for Shamrock Rovers, that's a really good result for them to go away, you know, in the circumstances off the back of, you know, qualifying for group stages in Europe during the week, having to go away to Derry. Um, obviously, they came out of the traps well, well, probably better in the first half than they were in the second half. But for, for them though, it's it, it's a point game, uh, gain and job done and they've kept Derry at bay. So, look, you know, for Shamrock Rovers, and that's the sign of champions, you know, that's why they are where they are. And they're going to have loads of games between now and the end of the season with the Europa League group stages or, or, or conference group stages. And, you know, they'll be able to manage that. And, you know, I think that probably will give them the edge over the season. But this is something that like Derry City will have to learn from, obviously. And, you know, to go and capitalise and, and, and beat the teams you should be beating every week because that's what champions do, regardless of the situation. They go out and win the games they should be winning every week. And, and the games against the top teams look after themselves. Obviously, they like... You look at Shamrock Rovers who play um, Dundalk this weekend, really good game, the top two. So that's another huge test for them. And, uh, like, you know, it's a pity, obviously, you know, we, we speak about, you know, uh, games being on TV and highlighting our league. But that would have been a terrific game on a Sunday evening to be to be on the TV as well. So it, it, we need more more of that as well, you know, to, to promote our league and our players because I think it was Keith was saying earlier on and Anthony about our players being largely unrecognisable to, to, to the wider Public, you know, unfortunately, our, our our League of Ireland players. That's the situation. You know, they're playing professional sport at the highest level in group stages. But you know, I think you know the average punter would struggle to name four or five League of Ireland players, top League of Ireland players. And unfortunately, that's you know, I suppose a stain on on you know maybe the 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 governing body and the and the the broadcasters that our our league is not highlighted and broadcast more. So. Um, but look, for, for Shamrock Rovers and Derry City, Derry City know what they have to do in order to catch them and be more competitive. I don't see them catching them this year. Um, but next year going forward, Roy Higgins is putting a really good squad together and they'll be, they will be they will be contenders like, like Dundalk will as well. Yeah, and Dundalk winning 1-0 at Bohemians, as we mentioned earlier. And we're just going to listen to Stephen O'Donnell and also to the Bowes manager, Keith Long, who are both speaking after that game to Siobhan Madigan. 
I thought it deserved three points. I thought we were the better team in the first half, deservedly went one up. And then I thought we came out second half and, and done really well and could have and probably should have went two up. Then obviously we were hit a little bit of adversity. And then the, the character they showed, Bows are going to have, have opportunities against um, ten men. They have really good attacking players. They went close a couple of times, but I thought we had good, really good chances with ten men. But in regards to attitude and, and digging in, and just showing a want to get three points and a want to play for the club, um, I couldn't be any happier with our lads. Bring you back to the start of the game. You know, you lived dangerously in the opening couple of minutes. They came out like a steam train and then you lost Pat Hooban. Yeah, I thought they were directed. A couple of dangerous moments without creating any chances. I felt a couple of little breaks. But uh, Pat obviously went off injury, reacted well to, really well to that. And then as the game went on, I thought we owned the game and we, we had by far the better chances and total control of the game. So, And the second half started that way. And then... They done us on the counter a little bit with um, we got a man sent off, but then we showed the other side of us in regards rolling your sleeves up and you know um, let's work hard for each other and make sure we maintain this scoreline. Keith, that's a game. I'd say you feel you should have got something from. I'm not sure. Um, he didn't work the goalkeeper enough. Um, Nathan Shepherd hasn't really had to pull off any saves of note. Um, certainly going down to ten men. Uh, we should work the goalkeeper a lot more. We should stretch the opposition a lot more and create more openings. Um, we probably created two openings in the, in, in the second 40 minutes after they uh, went down to 10 men. Um, so, unfortunately, like I said, we haven't worked the goalkeeper enough and we probably got what we deserved from the game. Okay, so that is Bohemians manager Keith Long and before that, Dundalk head coach Stephen O'Donnell. So, Gary, you were at this game and, you know, on the balance of play, obviously, the, the two managers have discussed it there. but when as you said, you know, uh, Dundalk are playing Shamrock Rovers uh, this Sunday coming and it's just a crucial result in keeping them just within touching distance of Shamrock Rovers and you never know what can happen then. Yeah, look, Dundalk are, are, are doing their business really well. I think Stevie O'Donnell will be very happy with how the season has gone. I think you know, European football you know, would have been the goal for them. I, I don't think realistically they would have thought they were challenges. But they are obviously making a really good fist of it. Like there's, there's massive experience in them in that Dundalk squad, and you look at the likes of Huben and and Boyle, and um, you've got Greg Slogger who's been there for a while. Uh, Dara Leahy, obviously they brought in Nathan Shepherd, who's done really well for them this year. He's a massive upgrade on last year's goalkeeper. Um, I think Dundalk, um, you know the game itself, um, obviously the, the benefit is from from an error for the, for for the goal by uh, by Ty Ryan. Um, but you know they were comfortable and they have that kind of bit of know-how and that steel that 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 you know that you would expect from that team. And they lost Hoban early in the game and obviously the sending off with Andy Boyle, which was a sending off. To be fair, um, you know they you know it changed the game a little bit for for the Dock. I thought they were very good in the first half with Sloggett and Lewis in the middle of the field doing really well. And um, but um, Bradley is a handful out wide. He was very good in the game as well. So look, the you know they they had, they had that know-how. You look at. You look at Bo's team, and there was only two of the team um, that started the cup final last year on, on on the pitch. You know to start with, so like the, there is huge change over there in Bohemians. Obviously, look, they lost uh, Kelly and Tierney, and um, Ali Coop played obviously, but Liam Burton didn't start. So like, they were the four uh, players last year that caused all the problems, and that were so good in, in Europe. And and you know Keats has obviously had a massive uh, uh, turnover in players and. And you can see it, they were a bit fragmented and they didn't really get going and it was a home game for them. So, uh, But like Dundalk, you know, were full value uh, for the win, even going down to 10 men. It was, it was a strange, strange weekend where you had sending off, the Pat had sending off against uh, against Ligo and UCD were the same day, they sending off and, and came from behind to win 2-1. So, um, but 
you know, when the send off happened again in the element, I, I kind of felt that, you know, that Dundalk would have a bit, you know, that bit of steel about them to be able to see the result out. And Nate Shepard made a really good save in the second half from Offal Abbey, I think it was. And, uh, you know, they've they seen it out, you know, quite comfortably in the end. Yeah, and we come to UCD now, Keith. So um, since your prediction, I think it was back back in June, that you kind of felt that they'd have the edge on Finn Harps in terms of getting to the relegation playoff spot and avoiding the uh, the automatic drop. Uh, they've uh, it's been it's kind of ebbed and flowed between them. Finn Harps were coming in with the points advantage, but then uh, UCD winning two one. Evan Caffrey's goal obviously fitting to decide a game like this. It was it was brilliant. But in the wider context, it's a huge goal and sort of what you've said before about your sense that UCD just have that little bit extra. It's uh, it's put them in a really good position now. Yeah, well, that's uh, it's just reinforced me what me thoughts of I seen them play against Pats. I done the co commentary on it and. Although they lost the game against Pats, there was periods in it where you thought, UCD are not a bad team here. Now, nothing really came of the stuff they were doing, but I was seeing patches and patterns of play where I thought, this is not bad. If this clicks against some of the lower teams, they'll, they'll be okay. And I watched a little bit of the game on Friday night and it was a real battle. I think there was nine yellow cards, one red card in the game. It was it was a real, real battle. So the, the football side of it from UCD that I've seen, I've been happy enough with. And obviously, they went down to 10 men in that game, still came back and won the game, which is huge, given they were against Finn Harps. And it's a massive, massive game to win. So I think it's excellent. There's going to be a real a real race between UCD and Finn Harps for who gets the, the automatic relegation and the, and the playoff. And I think we'll have, we'll have a real race for fourth place as well. I think there's going to be a, a lot of interest in the league until the, till the end. Yeah, and Anthony just as well. I think Drada United with a three-one win um, over Shelburne, and that what it does in the table. Obviously, it pushes them again further clear of that battle, the battle of the two at the bottom. But it puts them right on the tail of Shelburne and Bowes now. And then from I guess from a Shelburne point of view as well, there had been talk about them having an ambition of maybe pushing closer to the European battle, whether they missed out on or not. So, um, but on, on that side of it, it looks like the battle below the European places, it's going to be really close there between Shells, Bowes, Andrade. Yeah, and I think Shells and Andrade, when the dust settles, they'll both be very happy with where they are at this point in the season. You know, anything for Andrade, like I thought Andrade would have a real scrap on their hands this season, to be honest, like with the drain, the talent, the players that they lost uh, in the off-season, like said, Red, Joe Redmond and James Brown and... Uh, Killian Phillips, like they, they lost some really good players, and Tim Clancy, of course, went to Pats. But, um, you know, they, they realistically they're safe, you know, they're safe with plenty to spare. They've got a really good cup tie against Shamrock Rovers coming up, uh, down in Drada. You never know, you know, that they've shown they put it up to Shamrock Rovers already this season, so they might even have a, a decent if they get over Rovers, you'd fancy them to have a pretty good uh cup run. They've got some good experienced players, the likes of Ryan Brennan was very good against Shells the other night. Uh, you know, Deegan and and, Azza and a few other good young players coming through. So they've done that's that's been a great job for Doherty just to keep them on an even keel there with the way things went in the winter for them. Uh, and Shelburne, look, you know they are ambitious, but first season up, just just stay in the division, just stay in the division and build from there. And those two are fine, you know they're well clear now of Finn Harps and UCT. It's it's between them two who's gonna go bottom, and then the other will obviously go into the playoffs. So yeah, look, they'll be happy that this is bonus territory, I think, for for Drada and. Well, certainly draw that like to, to be in a scrap for mid table like that. Um, Europe is not attainable, and as long as they're not in a relegation scrap, they're, they're going to be perfectly happy. And, and I think, really, if they're being honest with themselves, Shelburne are 
probably similar. I, I know they are ambitious long term, but look, as I said, first season up, just stay in the division, consolidate, and they can go from there. Yeah, and in the first division, both of the top two uh, lost, um, but uh, the first result anyway on the Friday night, Wexford drawing 2-2 with Cove Ramblers, and then uh, Galway, who were second, losing 2-1 at Waterford, and then Cork City, the uh, division leaders, losing 2-0 at home to Treaty United, who themselves are trying to consolidate uh, their place in the playoff. They're currently fifth, and then Bray Wanderers losing 3-0 to fourth place Longford. That's three wins in a row now for Longford after losing the Midlands Derby to Athlone uh, about three weeks ago. Now, um, uh, Gary, on this, uh, obviously Cork City losing kind of came, especially at home, came out of nowhere given their form this season. But <clears throat> the frustration from a Galway United point of view, of course, is that they haven't been able to, um, you know, to make the most of that and at least try and close the gap um, at the top, even though Cork City still have a game in hand, which they're going to be playing against Waterford tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it will be massively disappointing for Galway. Obviously, look, Waterford uh, is a tough game for Galway away, and Waterford have been, I suppose, steadily. They, they got off to a really poor start. I actually expected them to be real title contenders. I know they're third now, but they're nine points behind. Um, but yet, you know, to go down to Waterford is not, is not going to be an easy task for Galway. But, you know, the, to rub salt in the wounds is obviously losing to Waterford United 2 1. And then for Cork uh, to get beaten at home, like, you know, Cork are not going to get beaten at home much between now and the end of the season. And when they do, as the as the chasing team, you've really got to capitalise on it. So it's definitely an opportunity lost for Galway. And uh, like you say, um, um, Cork will play this evening, so they've that, that, that game in hand. So we'll see how, how that goes. And you'd expect them to, to bounce back after a disappointing defeat to, uh, for Treaty at home because, you know, uh, Cork have had terrific support down there all season long. And uh, I know I know Gaul will beat them one 0 earlier in the season down there, but you don't expect them to lose too many games between now and the end of the season at home. Yeah, and in the Women's National League, uh, Cork City lost 2-1 at home to Athlone, who are continuing to have a really, really good season up to third. And uh, DLR Waves drew 1-1 with P-Mount United and Anya Gorman with the uh, late equaliser there with a header. And then Shelburne, who are at the top of the table and have had a little bit of a wobble domestically, beat Treaty United 4-0. And then Sligo Rovers lost 2-0 at home to Bowes. And then Galway United losing 1-0 at home to Wexford with even Clancy's late penalty. Uh, keeping Wexford in the title race and uh, I suppose from the uh, the title battle at the top Anthony I mean as I said Shelburne have had a little bit of a wobble but again this is a crucial result for them especially when they're going to be playing in the Champions League now very very shortly against Slovenian opposition Yeah it is you know just, just to keep Wexford youths at arm's length um, and obviously Heather O'Reilly coming in was a real shot in the arm for everybody for the whole league actually to come in to have a player that sort of status uh, to come into the side at this part of the season. Um, I think it's going to go to the wire again, you know, as it did last year. Wexford Utes got a really big win at the weekend. Right right at the end, they got a winner there at, at Galway. Um, but the story of the season so far is, is Athlone, Raph. Like, they, they're having a great season. And that's the fruits of some really good work, some positive work that they've done behind the scenes. They put a lot into young players, into their underage team. They've got players, they have had players in the last few years with the Ireland underage teams. They've just had three players called up into Vera Powell's Ireland team uh, to train with them over the next month. Jessica Hennessy, Emily Corbett and Mwiran Devaney are, are going to go in and, and have a taste of the senior camp there, which is great. And, you know, they're not actually out of it yet. They're, they're thereabouts. I don't think I, they might just fade that little lack of experience towards the tail end of the season. But it, they, they've been brilliant this year. 
and it's great to see a new team like that sort of come and, and kick on and keep keep progressing. Sligo have done well, you know, new team again, first season uh, in the division. Bowls are only there a couple of years. So it's good to see that. It's good to see good young players, especially knocking on the door for the Ireland team. Um, And I would expect that, as I said, I think this title race is going to go to the wire again because Wexford are, Shabron have a lot of quality. But Wexford have a lot of quality themselves and experience as well. And, and they really like they won the FAI Cup last year. They want to they want the league. That's what they all said after that cup win. They want to mount another real proper title challenge. So yeah, we've got an interesting couple of months coming up. Yeah, now we're gonna turn our attentions to what's happening in England with some of the Irish players and then also Manchester United and then uh Chelsea Spurs as well. Um but before we get to that, obviously uh we have a few players playing in Italy and Festi Abasele made his Udinese debut as a late substitute against the Serie A champions AC Milan. Udinese lost four two, but um Abicelli played the uh the last seven minutes. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. And then Aaron Connolly down in Serie B as well played for Venezia for the last couple of minutes against Genoa yesterday. Again, there's been a lot of I think we talked about him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago after he made the move and some of his comments that um obviously he kind of feels like the penny has dropped and it's we'll we'll follow closely and see how he how he gets on over there because uh his uh, his aim is obviously try and fight back into the Ireland squad, but over in the Championship, Chidozi Albene, he's been in really good scoring form. Three goals this season, including one in the Carabao Cup against Port Vale, and he scored at the weekend there against Reading. <clears throat> And I think Keith, from from Ogbeni's point of view, because when he was playing in League One for Rotherham last season, it seemed he was often playing wing back. Whereas with Ireland, he was playing as part, sort of that part of that fluid front tree that Kenny um, had put in. And looking at the formations and how they've lined up, the the Rotherham manager has moved him up front, and that bodes well from an Irish point of view. Well, yeah, looking at it with with Irish eyes, I think we want that Benny playing as far up the pitch as possible. I I've seen him play an awful lot live in the Aviva, and it's just different to what you get now from your modern day wingers. You know, when you take your likes of Mane and Salah, maybe even Riyad Mahrez over, so much of football to these days is it gets into the wide area, comes back to the centre halves, and gets recycled back out, and you keep shifting them around until you find the until you find the gaps in between the the spaces. But when you give the ball to what Benny. He's so raw and so direct that he'll just knock a past you and run. And that's the one thing that the, the left back and the right back, they hate doing that. They hate getting into foot races with people. And when Agbani knocks that ball past you, he's so strong as well that even if you are quicker than him, it's going to be strong. It's going to be a hard battle to keep him behind you. So for me, the further he plays up the pitch, he's, he, the better for us. He's, he scored a few goals in the championship already, as you said. And, I'm a big fan of his. I think he could probably take the next step. I'm not saying he could probably jump into the Premiership. I do think that will come in his career at some point. I, t- I feel he can, no disrespect to Rotherham, but I feel he could take uh, the next step outside Rotherham and maybe branch out a little bit because I, I, he is a little bit raw, maybe tactically, uh, technically a little bit wanting, but the tools and the talent are there that can be worked with. Yeah, and it comes at a time. Obviously, uh, Georgie Kelly, just from an Irish point of view as well, also... Uh, came on as a sub against Reading. Um, he only I think only started to get a bit of game time towards the end of last season, having moved from Bowles, uh, mid season. So we'll see how he gets on as well. And then Abafemi yet to score for Swansea, but he did assist their um winner at Blackpool late on at the weekend. Uh, Gary, uh, the other one that we've been keeping an eye on, of course, is Troy Parrott as well. Um, for Preston, and he did score. Um, he got off the mark for them against Huddersfield in the Carabao Cup in midweek. But uh, Preston themselves not being particularly high scoring I mean I think they've won gold from three haven't 
conceded yet, but uh, obviously from our point of view, we do want to see him scoring because as we've talked about with Ogbena there, there's Obafemi, there's a there's a nice mix of, uh, of forwards there for Stephen Kenny to pick from. So with games coming up uh, towards the end of September in the Nations League, the importance is now to see some of them scoring as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you look Preston and Rotherham uh, tomorrow night in Preston will be a really interesting one where you have a couple of the players that have been mentioned so far that'll be on view and I'm sure that'll be a game that Stephen Kenny will probably take in. Um, like it's great to have so many options and I like like he's I'm a big fan of uh, Ogbeni as well. Like he is so I suppose frightening for especially like in the wide areas. You just know when this kid's gonna get he is gonna take you on. And uh, I'd say nine times out of ten he's gonna be faster than the guy he's up he's up against. So he he's a real, real handful and you know, it's very exciting to see his progress obviously from Cork City to Limerick to, to he went to Brentford and now obviously really flourishing uh, under uh, Warren at, at Rotherham. So, um, but like there's loads of players like Will Keane at Wigan. There's lots of players playing the championship. Like a lot of our players that are getting regular game time are playing the championship. Obviously Robbie Brady's back and he he set up the goal the weekend. He put in an assist for for Preston's goal. So, um, like we like the championship is a really good standard of football. I think it'd be probably rated as the fourth or best fourth or fifth best league in Europe. So. Uh, like it's great to see so many of our young players coming through. I think it's exciting times for for the national team with all the the players that are getting the opportunity and that are playing you know a really good standard of football as well. Yeah, and Keith, um, I don't know how much you've seen Adara Costello at Burnley. Obviously, he's somebody who was on the bench when uh, towards the end of the Premier League season uh, last season when they got relegated. But Vincent Company has come in and he's pretty much put him straight into the first team playing out wide on the right. He's somebody who started his career here with uh, Galway United. But uh, what have you made of him? I've seen him play the opening game of the season against Huddersfield. He, he was really good. I enjoyed him. Um, a little bit raw, maybe a... Uh, defensively a little bit a little bit naive at times but he's playing with a manager now that knows the ins and outs he's been a player he, he knows like you said about these young forward thinking managers he's going to be taught where he needs to be it's, it's almost turning into a game of chess now football it, there's so many tactics involved in it but as long as he's, he's willing to learn and he, he keeps the enthusiasm he is I think he, I think it'd be good because he looks like he's going to stay in, in the in the Burnley team I think he's the, the performances he's put in over the last two weeks or so have been been decent enough. I don't see any reason to change him. So barring injuries, I think we could probably see him in the in the Irish squad soon enough. Yeah, and in the Premier League, Liverpool playing Crystal Palace tonight. But um, Manchester United are probably one of the stories of the the weekend, losing four nil at Brentford. But uh, Anthony, at what point do Liverpool supporters start feeling a bit sorry for United, or is there is that a sort of impossibility? No, no, that's that's an impossibility. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is that they play, I think, next week. They play next Monday night, and I would not rule out Man United getting a result next Monday night. You know, they still have very good individuals and talented individuals, and I actually think Ten Hag uh, is giving off some good vibes. You know, he's got a really difficult job, and that game on Saturday was just, it was an absolute shambles. It, it's almost like, they went onto the pitch with all this information, this technical information, and this is what we do, and we have kickouts, and that they just forgot that you know to play a game of football, you actually have to scrap, like especially in the Premier League. If you, if you don't go out with aggression and pace, you you're gonna get beaten by every other team in the division. Like that, that's your baseline quality. Liverpool played Fulham and were pedestrian and poor, but you know they got a point. They got out with a point because they you know they're they're. Well ahead of Man United at this point, they do have a system and a structure 
and certain standards that they, they don't tend to dip below. Whereas United at the minute, they do look like they could get hammered by anyone. And look, they could get hammered by Liverpool next week, but they, they there's something about them and there's something about Ten Hag that I, I actually think they will get a reaction next week. Just long term, you know, they don't look like they can sustain any sort of consistency. And they're, they're, they're three, four, five good players shortly of starting to just get back to being like a solid top five or six team. Forget about anything else. Uh, fair play to Brentford. I thought they were very good. But all they did was just expose these crazy weaknesses and gaps uh, and that United had. And I'm talking like, you know, five foot nine centre half in the Premier League. He is a good player, Martinez, but what's going to happen? Any team you play, what are they going to do? Long throw-ins, targeting them at set pieces. You know, he ends up getting taken off at halftime. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a bit of a circus at the minute, Raph. So, but yeah, not much sympathy from the Liverpool corner, I wouldn't have said. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it kind of comes back to something you hear in boxing. Like, uh, it's all good having a plan until you get punched in the face. And then when you look at Eric Ten Hag's uh, comments afterwards, uh, you can have a good plan, but then you put the plan in the bin. I think it's nothing to do with tactics. The first two goals are about dealing with the ball and decisions. I think they follow my instructions, but they make bad decisions. This is football. It's a game of mistakes and we got punished. And Keith, when you look at the... Uh, at that first half, obviously all four goals were scored there. So there's uh, mistakes at set pieces and then there's getting pressed, like Ericsson getting pressed by Jensen at the edge of his own box and De Gea, of course, making a mistake, which he took responsibility for because he felt it obviously led to what came afterwards and then they got done on the break. So you're looking at a team where that were getting done in pretty much every facet of the game imaginable. Yeah, they, they weren't just outplayed by, by, uh, by Brentford. They were outfought and you know, it just reeks of naivety to me when you're going away to Brentford. And me being an Arsenal fan, when I throw my mind back to the opening game of last season when Arsenal played Brentford in, in the Brentford Stadium and Brentford just bullied the two centre-halves. Arsenal actually played Ben White, who came in from Brighton for £50 million, And he just got bullied and Brentford won the game 3-0. And then Ten Hag comes and it's like he, he had no knowledge of this. He had no knowledge that Brentford might go a little bit more direct and be a little bit physical. They they ended up having to take the the five foot nine cent a half off, but the, the the disappointing thing for me was when you see the Ben Mee header, he's with him and he just never gets off the ground. It's like he's expecting a battle. Ben Mee actually heads the ball at about hip height. He's falling away and heads it in, and he just doesn't. There's nothing there. And Ericsson makes a very bad decision. He comes for the ball. I don't think the ball should be given from the game, but the ball is given. So Ericsson should deal with it. He's made himself available, so he should deal with it. He gets caught, and then the De Gea mistake as well. It, it, it's just it's not a Manchester United team that I'm used to seeing. It's it's they get caught playing out in the back. They they don't look comfortable on the ball. You've Harry Maguire standing on the halfway line. If you're Ivan Tony or Mbwemo, all you want to do is get into a foot race with him and you want to bully the other centre half. So I think there's a lot of question marks over it. A few of these United players. I, I think it's look, it's I've been saying it till I'm blue in the face. McTominay and Fred are not good enough to play together. It's one of them, and you need somebody in beside them who will who will complement them, but the two of them together at times, Fred's 100%. He, he will give you 100%, but his 100% is not good enough for Manchester United. McTominay's a young lad. He's doing his best. He, he's learning on the job, but at the minute, he's not good enough. How many of these United players would get into the other top five? You know, your Chelsea's, Liverpool, Man City's, Arsenal's. I don't think Arsenal would even take half of these Manchester United players. It's, they, they don't have any fight, any desire, any will. And even even more, like we're hearing about these the Ten Hag with his five rules he's brought into the club. 
they're all these are all commonsensical things. And I played under managers that are disciplinarians and they've never had rules like this because it's common sense. And if he feels he needs to come in and put these in black and white and say, this is it, no, no alcohol, no personal chefs. Uh, if you're late for a team meeting, you, you're dropped, that's it. No, that's no ifs, buts and maybes. It's, it's like they're treating them with like kids. And I can imagine if I was a player in there and you can imagine the egos that Manchester United players would have for somebody to come in and treat you like a kid I'm sure it's not going down well. No, listen, I think you know you have problems at the top. They've got problems on the pitch and you've got problems off the pitch. That club needs to be gutted from top to bottom. The playing staff needs to be needs to go. But the bulk of the playing staff need to go. The people at the top, the Glaziers need to go. Does Ronaldo issues to the young transfer? And then you're hearing that they're thinking Arnautovic might be able to help them out. They've got a 37-year-old striker who's probably one of probably the top five players to ever kick a football. And you're bringing in Arnautovic. I, I just don't understand. It, it seems like Ten Hag wants, wants something, but the board wants another thing. It just, to me, it's a football club that is not on the same level. It, I think there's mixed messages coming out all over the place. And I'm an Arsenal fan. And I, I, have, I have a tiny bit of sympathy for them right now. <laughs> and uh, the other game, of course, at the, on Sunday, and it got quite tempestuous at the very end with a, a bizarre handshake, and then which turned into a brawl. Uh, Gary was uh, Chelsea to Tottenham too. So Chelsea were very impressive, largely, and they, there's been question marks about them as the season came in because obviously there have been changes. They've let Lukaku go. Obviously, he didn't have a great season last season, but Raheem Sterling coming in, there was question marks about whether where the goals are going to come from. But they pressed well. But at the same time, then Tottenham, again, sometimes they're a club maybe that aren't linked in with the idea of resilience, but they showed resilience to get a point away in a very, very tough game. Yeah, look, a very entertaining game, two all. Um, look, the game had had lots in it. Obviously, look, the incident at the end, but you know, I suppose Harry Kane turning up with a ninety-six minute uh, equaliser really is, you know, probably not synonymous with, with Spurs. They would have always been seen as kind of a, a soft team, but. Conte is anything but soft, uh, and you know he's obviously put his demands in place uh, early on in the year, and uh, you know he's he's dipped into the transfer market, and he's he's certainly in, in full control there, and they'll be very happy, you know, to go away to a really good Chelsea side, and uh, and to come out of it with a point, given the circumstance. Obviously, when you're when you're, you know, a two-all draw, when you're two-one down in the ninety-six minute, that feels like a win, and and you know, Spurs will take a take a lot from that. Obviously, Chelsea won't lose much in. in in drawing the game, but you know, it, all in all, it was a terrifically entertaining game on the Sunday, obviously. And uh, but 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 Kane is just phenomenal, uh, and and the players that 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 Spurs have, like I'm really interested to see how Spurs go this year. You know, they've added that bit of extra quality that Kane and Son last year were were, were excellent, and you know, the players that they've added to that now, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting viewing for the, the remainder of the season. See can they they push on and put a put a challenge in there? But look, you know, when you look at the, the at Man City. And Liverpool, um, Man City look awesome as well. And you know, you look at the point total that both City and Liverpool have racked up in recent seasons. Um, it, it's going to be tough to, to break into that top two, but but Spurs certainly going in the in the right direction. Yeah, and helped obviously by finishing the season strongly last season, pipping Arsenal to the top four. Um, Keith, you've mentioned Arsenal a couple of times there, but in terms of like they've made they've won two from two, a tough uh, challenge on the opening day at Palace because that Patrick or Patrick Vieira, um, Palace team is is pretty handy, and then to follow it up, despite a couple of little defensive mistakes, uh, Gabriel Jesus looks like he's added another dimension to their attack. So four two win at Leicester. 
Yeah, I'm really happy with how things are going at Arsenal. I, listen, I think top four, I think, might be just out of our reach. You know, I think City, Liverpool is set in stone. Whichever way that, you know, fourth and second, I'm not sure, but we think we'd all agree Liverpool and City will be top of the three. Chelsea, Spurs, uh, Arsenal, I'm not sure. I think Arsenal, I don't think, I think Arsenal will finish above United, hopefully. But I, I just, I think Arsenal are moving in the right direction. I think when you have the, the youth in the team like Arsenal having like a Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Odegaard, the likes of these players, the young players, the good young players, but with youth comes inconsistency. So I do think there's times when two or three of them don't turn up or you know, you have a hamstring, a little hamstring niggle here or there. So I do think there is a lull to come just because there's youth in the team. But with, with Jesus and Zinchenko in particular, I really like the signing of Zinchenko because he can play left-back, which... We do, we, I, I'm happy with Kieran and Tierney there when he's fit, but he's so so he's always injured. But when he is fit and and fully fit and fired, I put him in at left back and I move Zinchenko into into the deep line midfielder because I think if you know I'm hearing a couple of rumours about Arsenal maybe getting Tillemans out, out of Leicester. If they were to get him out of Leicester, I think Arsenal are really then starting to build a decent squad. I think the new centre half Saliba, uh, he was at, on loan at Lille last season. He looks to be decent. Now, whether or not he can deal with the physicality of the Premiership will, will remains to be seen. But when you look at Arsenal now, I think we're in a decent position. Miguel Arteta, young team. We don't seem to have too many big egos. I think the one ego we had was Aubameyang and Arteta dealt with that pretty swiftly and I think the rest of the players have dealt in, have fell into line after that. So, I'm, in, I'm, ha- I'm happy with Arsenal. If we get top six, I'll be over the moon. I just... You know, I, I think we're in a right place, and especially when you look across at Manchester United, what's happening there, I think it's it's puts things into perspective, and you know, not to overreach and think we should be challenging for top two, three. I think realistically, we're in a good place. We're moving forward. We've young players that will get better under Arteta, and we'll keep to get better. We'll keep on getting better. So, yeah, look at top six for me this season is hopefully what we'll get in next season if we can add another one or two, maybe get, like I say, get Tillemans out of Leicester. Arsenal will be in a really good place. Yeah, and then Aubameyang, it looks like he's going to potentially going to Chelsea because obviously Barcelona have to try to balance the books. But uh, good luck with that if your debt's <laughs> a billion and a bit. But uh, I suppose finally, uh, Anthony, before we go, also a word on Mark Travers. We talked about Gavin Bazunu last week who wasn't at fault for any of the goals that uh, Spurs scored against Southampton last week. Largely again for Bournemouth having just come up and him being number one, you know, playing against Manchester City, they're always going to be on a hiding to nothing. Uh, they lost 4-0, but again, uh, like Bazunu last week, you couldn't really fall Travers for any of the goals, uh, for any of the goals at the weekend. No, I mean, look, he's, he was kind of the forgotten man in the whole debate around Callaghan Bazunu. Like, all the while we were talking about the, the two lads and who's going to win that, that fight for the number one jersey with Ireland long-term. And, uh, Travers was playing consistently in you know a top championship team, and now he's a Premier League keeper, and he has the jersey. And you're looking at it now, you know, in terms of a two horse race, and maybe it's Travers and Bazunu. You know, the Kevin Kelleher, he really needs to consider what his next move is now because the longer he stays at Liverpool, the further he's going to sit behind the two lads. They're out playing now. They they've gone dropped down to Championship or League One or League Two in Bazunu's case and played. You know, developed by playing week after week, and now they're playing in the Premier League. So we're really lucky, you know, from our as an Irish fan's point of view, it's great. We're spoiled for choice. We've got these three great keepers. Well, it just shows you like the benefit of just playing, like just getting out and playing. I think Gary referenced it in terms of the League of Ireland as well earlier on. Um, 
with an eye like you know playing in a league every week a competitive tough league and nothing hastens your development like it you know with the lessons that you learn playing in front of crowds tough physical games and all the rest so yeah, he's, he's a very good goalkeeper. He was unfortunate in the game he played uh, Serbia away, wasn't it, where he was caught with a lob that night. And I, I, he looked quite nervous that night. But that's that's not going to define his, his career, Mark Travers. He's too good. He's very talented. And often Stephen Kenny has made a point in press conferences when you ask him about Kelleher or Brazilio, he will always mention or very regularly mention Mark Travers because he impresses so much in training. Like, they think a lot of this guy... And you know, if he keeps doing well, he's got a real chance now. Bournemouth, he's got a couple of years on a couple of years' experience, maturity under his belt to, to nail down the number one spot, yeah, himself right back in the Ireland conversation, yeah. And uh, one last thing to watch as well for any GA fans, of course, as well. Jamie Clark having signed for Newry City, I think it was on Friday, so he might be making his debut against Linfield uh, this Sunday coming. So that's one to look out for, especially if you're an Armagh supporter. If he's uh, any way as good as he is on a on a Gaelic football pitch, uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how he gets on with Newry. But anyway, that brings us to a close. So as I said, uh, the Shamrock Rovers' first leg in Hungary against Ferencvaros is going to be live on RT2 and the RT Player on Thursday. So there's that to look forward to. But uh, Keith and Gary, thanks a million for coming on this week and Anthony as well thanks for joining me thanks Rob thanks